We are continuing, as was mentioned, our series here on the home. Home improvement, and we're talking about tools that will help build a godly home. Today we're going to talk some time here, and next week and the week after, uh, particularly about the marriage relationship. Now do me a favor, if you're single here today, don't tune me out, all right? Because this message will have very good practical application for everybody. And there will be important components of this and truths that are given in this message that will help every one of us to be able to live the Christian life. But we are going to take some time to talk about this important subject of marriage within the home, the very foundation of the home. So look, if you will, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as also Christ loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband." course of the next couple weeks that we'll be talking about marriage. I'm going to do something here with you today that I have done a few years ago, and I've repackaged really this message here for today, but I'm going to talk about 10 laws that ought to govern every marriage. 10 laws. Now, you can relax a little bit. We're not doing all 10 today, okay? We're going to take a couple today, and we're going to talk about a couple of laws here today that should govern your marriage. But let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Our Father, we come before you. We thank you for the blessing of being able to gather here. Thank you that you gave us feet to walk in here, ears to be able to hear, a mind to be able to process what is said. And I pray, Lord, that every one of us in our spiritual heart would take hold of the truths of the Word of God, would apply them where it's necessary. Help every married couple, help every single that is here to take these truths about their relationship with the Christ and their relationship with others. And Lord, may we walk forward and follow you and be obedient to those things. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't it amazing that there are more jokes about marriage than any other subject in the world? There was a son and father who were talking one day, and the son said, Dad, I've heard that in some parts of the world, a man doesn't know his wife until he marries her. The father said, Son, that's true everywhere. 
It's just a joke I'm reading. I, it wasn't mine, okay? Uh, again, another thing. Marriage, somebody has said, is a three-ring circus. The engagement ring, the wedding ring, and suffering. But There's a five-year-old girl by the name of Susie told her mother the story of Snow White, which she had heard in school. Prince Charming had kissed her back to life. And so Susie concluded, And do you know what happened then, mother? Yes, said the mother. They lived happily ever after. No, she responded with a frown. They got married. (laughs) Well, honestly, while there are a lot of jokes about marriage, and I just wanted to kind of lighten the mode for just a moment, marriage is a very serious institution. We laugh about it. We fuss over it. We get concerned when there are problems, but it should be considered every married couple and every person looking to be married should consider this as a very holy thing. I don't think you want to be like the guy that constantly looked at his wedding video and played it in reverse. One day his wife asked him, why are you constantly playing that in reverse? He says, because I want to see myself walking out of the church as a free man. Well, sadly, again, so many view marriage as a hardship, as a a, a problem thing. But I want to tell you, it is a beautiful institution that God has established When you look at our world, God has established three main institutions. Number one, He established government. And when government acts according to the laws of God, government is a good thing. God also created the church. Today we're meeting here as a group of believers, something that God has established. Again, a wonderful thing that God has made for us to enjoy. But marriage is that third institution, a beautiful thing, all the way back in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, when God brought Adam and Eve together and brought them together in holy matrimony. And I want to tell you today that our government will only be as strong as the churches are strong in following God. And our churches will only be as strong as the families and the marriages within that church are strong themselves. It's high time today for two things to happen. That young people are taught and are led by example about this holy institution of marriage. And secondly, that marriages are kept in the proper perspective that they should be. That they are valuable, that they are cherished relationships on this earth. So again, over the course of the next couple of weeks, I'm going to give you some general rules, if you will that you can jot down biblical truths to help you have a good and healthy marriage. But I really believe that if you're not married here today and you're seeking to be married, you want to be looking at these things and thinking to yourself, what do I need to be looking ahead to? You're here today and maybe you've been divorced, maybe you've never been married, maybe you're not seeking to be married again because you've been widowed and things like that. Well, I want you to consider these truths and how God can help apply them to your life. Law number one that every marriage ought to consider is this, decide to be right with God. You say, preacher, I've never heard of this like at a marriage seminar. I want to tell you something. 
Biblically speaking, if you want your marriage of two people to be right with God, you as an individual must seek to be right with God. Look at verse number 21. The Bible tells us here, this first verse that we read, submitting yourselves, so let's kind of throw this in here, husbands and wives, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we ended our message about a Christian home with this verse. And I alluded to the fact that the word submit literally means to place oneself under, to fall within rank, or we can look at this word as a word that speaks about order. In other words, every spouse, every husband, every wife is to submit to the role that God has given them within the marriage. They are to do this in the fear of the Lord. In other words, my life needs to be under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. I must be obedient to God's leading. I must be obedient to the King of Kings leading in my life. And if I obey Him, it's going to help a lot in my marriage relationship. Could I give you a statement to help you understand this? Let me throw this up on the screen. The best thing that you can do for your marriage is to be personally right with God. You say, preacher, my mate isn't saved. Read the statement with me. Ready? The best thing you can do for your marriage is to be personally right with God. You say, but preacher, my spouse has all sorts of baggage and they're the problem. Read it with me. The best thing you can do for your marriage is to be personally right with God. You say, we got so many issues going on. Boy, it's really bothering our relationship. Ready? Let's read it again. The best thing you can do for your marriage is to be personally right with God. You see, in our marriages, here's the problem. We have a lot of different ways we look at it. We have a lot of people who are controllers in their marriage. They think to themselves, all right, I know how to fix my marriage. I'm going to control my spouse. I'm going to make them be the person that they need to be. You know, I've met a lot of people who have been married 25, 30, 40 years, and I've asked them this question boldly. How's it going for you? Oh, preacher, she's stubborn. I mean, he, he just doesn't listen to me. And really, after all these years, we've tried to control the other one. That's what we've put together. Some are easygoing in their relationships, and they just figure, look, whatever happens, happens. We just kind of let it fly by the seat of our pants. And then some are oblivious in their marriage. Oh, they love their spouse, they're focusing, but they're oblivious to what really needs to happen to make their marriage flourish in the things of God. And I want to tell you something, the best thing you can do for your relationship is for you to personally be right with God. I'm going to put something on the screen here, it's a triangle. Some of you may have ever maybe have seen this before, but notice here God is at the top of the triangle and either spouse is at the bottom of the triangle. Every spouse in their right mind that wants their marriage to flourish wants to figure out how do I get closer to my spouse? 
How do I overcome the problems? How do I overcome the baggage? How do I get through some of these circumstances that we're dealing with and some of the things that we constantly find ourselves fighting over? I want to tell you something. Notice here in the triangle, as every husband gets closer to God and as every wife gets closer to God, what happens? Can you tell me? They get closer to one another. Now, honestly, it's a very simple illustration, and whenever I do premarital counseling with young couples, I show them this triangle because I want them to understand that for them to contribute positively to their marriage, for them to help their marriage, instead of trying to control the other one or change the other one or blame the other one for the problems, if they would insist on their being right with God and pray for their spouse to be right with God, as they get closer to God, guess what? They get closer to one another. Now you say, preacher, how do I get right with God? Well, here's the following things that I suggest. Get into the Word of God. Hey, it's as simple as this. You start making this book a treasure. You start reading through this book in a great way. And if you're truly saved, the Holy Spirit of God who wrote this book is the same Holy Spirit of God who lives in your life and He's going to help you understand it and apply it. So get into the Word of God and read it. Secondly, I want to encourage you to be faithful to God's house. Now, I want to tell some of you tonight, and I understand some of you have some difficulties and various things, and I get it. I'm not here to go ahead and come through and, and, uh, and, and push and, and persuade every person. But I want to tell you, 6 o'clock tonight, we've got services, and some of you for your marriage, it would do you a world of good to be in church. It would do you a world of good. Wednesday nights we have services. It do you a world of good. You say, well, I, I go to dinner on Wednesday night and I have this going on. I want to tell you something. One of the best things you can do for your life is to be in the house of God. Because it is there you hear the word of God. Third thing you can do to be right with God. Keep sin out of your life. Oh, that's a novel idea. You know why there's problems in our marriage? Because of sin. You know why there's issues that are going on? Because there's sin on one part. Let me tell you, the fights and arguments you have going on, don't blame it on them. Don't say, well, this is just what we're prone to. No, fights and arguments are a cause, a root of sin in the life. And therefore, you seek to keep sin out of your life. It'll help you. But then fourth thing, this is beautiful. When you blow it, Make it right with the spouse. Now, I love some couples the way they act. I ain't going to her. She's got to come to me first. She started this whole thing. She's going to help end it. Well, I'm going to tell you, you have that attitude, and that marriage will continue going further and further apart. Let me just tell you, when you blow it, Seek to make it right, whether you started it, whether she started it, whether, whatever happened here. So I want to tell you something. You say to yourself, well, preacher, this seems really easy about getting right with God, and does this really help out in my marriage? Let me just tell you something. If you're in the Word of God regularly, it'll keep you following what God would have you to do in your life. If you're faithful to God's house, you'll be in a place where you'll hear preaching and instruction from God's man. You'll be around godly examples of those who are showing a good marriage. 
If you keep sin out of your life, your spouse will actually find you pleasant to be around. And if you make things right and seek forgiveness when wrongs have been committed, you will keep the communication lines open. Can I say to you, sin that is unconfessed always puts a barrier in a relationship. Now, I know that some of you right now are saying to yourselves, look, I object to all this. You know, you object to all this by stating, look, I've been right with God for years, and it's not changed my marriage. I want you to know something. I'm not implying that this is naturally and overnight going to fix your marriage, but I want to tell you something. There are two parts coming together in this relationship. And bear in mind that change in a marriage begins when one spouse says yes to Jesus that they'll live for Him. And if it takes one to begin the process, the only person that you realize you can change is you. How many have, you don't need to raise your hand, but how many have figured that out? The only person you can change is you. I mean, I don't know about you, but we think we can change other people. Now, I'm kiddingly saying this. My wife is golden, all right? But I remember after a number of years, I said to my mother-in-law, I said, man, it's hard to change that woman. She says, I had her for 25 years. You think you can do it in just a few? (laughs) Ask her mother about that later. I'm just throwing that out there, and you go see her afterwards and talk to her. But I want to tell you something. What's helped our relationship here is that both of us have attempted to be right with God. So law number one, seek or decide to be right with God. Law number two, you say, preacher, it's good so far. I'm all right. All right, I saved the best for last and the hardest for last, all right? Number two, decide to function within your God-given role. Now, this is going to cause some of you to check out. So I want you to do me a favor. Give me both ears. Listen with your heart. Open up. And Bill, let's look at what the Word of God says. The book of Ephesians, this text of Scripture that we looked at, spells out for us some of the greatest language and helps in defining the roles and the responsibilities of each spouse in the marriage. Sadly, some have never learned what their roles are. Oh, sure, maybe your mom and dad taught you certain stereotypes. Or society has passed along certain things to you. But you've never learned how God made you and what you as a husband or what you as a wife uniquely bring to the marriage relationship. It is sad that we have classes in our counties for all sorts of things. And I'm not saying these classes are, 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 are something to just uh, look at as negligent or, or uh, that they shouldn't happen, but we've got classes for uh, certain uh, licenses and certain things. And, and uh, I want to say to you that if we've got a license for all these other things in this world, what greatest thing should we have but some opportunities for people when they step into marriage to be able to say, I want to know what God says for me. What does God say about me as a future husband? What does God say about my role in this relationship? Well, let's go into it. 
Let's first talk to husbands. First of all, husbands, your role is that you are the loving leader of the home. The loving leader of the home. Now, first off, I want to talk about husbands here. What are the implications of this leadership? Well, I want you to notice something here, something that probably caught your attention, and I'll guarantee that some of you that are so focused in on our society in this world, every time I read this word, here's what you did. Ooh. Ooh. Ready? Here it is. Verse 23. Husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church. A couple of times here in this passage, that word head is used, and we begin to shudder when we think about this word. And really our shuddering is due to the fact that we have less known what the Bible says about headship in the home, and we have taken our cues from the world. You know, a word picture of this, idea of head is this. It refers to a headstone that was used in a building to help unite two walls and help bring stability to the whole structure of that house or building that was being built. See, today our world tells us that headship is some uh, masculine ego cleverly designed to bolster the husband and his cleverness. But I want to tell you something. Headship, according to the Bible, involves the husband's solemn obligation to establish an atmosphere of guidance for God's structured place called the home. Do you realize when you read Ephesians chapter 5, God, the implication of headship is that God has only designated one head. God is so designated for the husband to provide that loving leadership by being the head of the home and that the wife reverence and follow that loving leadership. I've heard him share this many a times, but he's gone with the Lord now. But the old preacher Adrian Rogers used to say this about headship. Anything with no head is dead, and anything with two heads is a freak. And really it's true. So you've got to think about the home here. What has God established? There are many wives that are vying to try to be the head of the home when God has established the husband to provide that loving leadership. And many times in homes, husbands have abdicated that leadership and therefore there is no headship and no guidance there in the home. Now husbands, look right up here for just a moment, would you? If you walk out of here and bow your chest out and kind of hold your shoulders up high and start walking out and say, I knew the preacher was with me. Wait till I get home. Wait till I tell her and remind her of this verse. You're in trouble. I'm just telling you. Because if you think that's what headship is all about, it's not that. Loving leadership. And I want you to notice what is involved next because if you go out strutting yourself and you begin demanding, 
I don't think you'll get what you want because you need to follow the illustration of this loving leadership. Notice the example of Jesus. I want to call your attention to verse number 23. Look what it says. For the husband's ahead of the wife. And boy, many husbands stop right there. See? See? This is what it says. Look at the next two words. Even as... Notice also, here it says Christ is the head of the church. Notice also verse number 25. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. And every, or verse 25, I'm sorry. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. Verse 26 and 27. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. Here's what Jesus did. Jesus set the example for us. So the idea of this illustration is, husbands, you are to lead and to love your wives just like Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. Now can I say to you, that is a tall order for us husbands. Is it not? It is not just if you say, well, I'm never going to die on a cross. We're not talking about you dying on a cross. Maybe once in a while your wife might want you to die on a cross because of how you're behaving. But truthfully, we're not talking about that. We're talking about what is brought in with this idea of Jesus giving His life. He sacrificed for His wife. He loved His wife, the church. Jesus in His ministry did not go about demanding. I love what Luke chapter 19 verse 10 says about Jesus. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to minister, to give Himself a ransom for many. And you think about when Jesus died on the cross. I love those scriptures that as Jesus is there, the Bible says that they reviled Him, but He reviled not back. They prodded Him, they poked at Him, they made fun of Him, but not one time did He out of anger lash out. All the time of His walking on this earth, that whole time on the cross, He was there as a servant. And husbands, can I get your attention here? It is not you with the big chest. It is you coming down and serving your wife. When you provide that attitude, then your wife will look at you as the leader that God has intended you to be. Notice the involvement of love. You know, when we think of love, we think of love in so many gushy and emotional ways, but I want you to know that the word love is a word of decision. It's a word of action. The Greek word agape, which is behind this word love, is the highest form of love. It is a self-sacrificing love. So I want to ask you a question. How do you know God loves you? Well, God loves you and me because He gave His Son to die for us. How, husband, will your wife know that you love her? Because you give yourself for her. Look through the Scriptures for just a moment. Notice this sacrificial aspect of love. Look at verses 26 to 27. This love gives to help. 
Jesus came and died for the betterment of the church. Notice what he's doing. He's nourishing it. He's strengthening it. He's causing the church, you and I, to be brought to a place where we can be presented before God someday. You know what's sad about many husbands? They're in it for themselves. They just have this simple notion, look, I'm a king, that's my castle, my wife's task is to provide comfort, protect me from all unpleasant circumstances. You come home from dinner, you rise majestically from the dinner table, you sink gloriously into your overstuffed chair, and you entertain yourself with television while your wife scurries about, making sure the kids get off the bed, making sure that the table is clean, and everything is done so no disturbances are made for the king. But I want to ask you, husbands, when's the last time you stepped down to help? You know why Jesus came and died for the church? Jesus is invested in your life. Jesus is doing what He can to help you, to bring you to the Father. He is serving you. Husbands, your sacrificial love is to serve, help serve your wife. This sacrificial aspect of love, it gives time. Notice in verse 26, would you look at these words, sanctify, cleanse. Look at verse number 29, the word nourisheth and cherish. I want to tell you something. Because Jesus is cherishing and nourishing and sanctifying and cleansing us, you know what? It involves effort, it involves determination, it involves planning. Now sadly, some husbands are too busy to run an errand for their wife. Too busy to fix a gadget. I hear many times of of husbands, yeah, my to-do list is pretty big. Well, start chipping away at the list. Start taking care of some of the things for her. Love your wife. Devote a whole evening to her where it's just you and her alone. And when you give of your time, husbands, you are saying in such subtle ways to your life, You mean a lot to me. I want to tell you, when you don't spend that time, it's like spraying weed killer on a beautiful flower. But when your wife begins to wilt away and reflect the same attitudes here, then she'll be quick to complain. But husbands, I want to tell you, you show the love of Christ and you spend time and it will help. You notice spending time here, it gives spiritual value. Loving leadership involves a husband's solemn obligation to establish an atmosphere of love in which the needs of the wife are fulfilled. And notice here the reaction or the response of the wife with this proper loving leadership is this, that the wife will begin to respond. And she will follow in submission here because God has created women as responders. You think about it here. Flowers depend on sunshine and rain. You give them a little bit of water, give them a little bit of sunshine, and boy, that flower is going to perk up and you walk out and go, that's a beautiful flower right there. Why? Because it responds to it. When they get it, they respond by getting out there and gorgeously portraying the beauty that God has created in them. And when God has made a woman to be a responder, she responds to what she receives. Husbands, let me speak curtly. 
You trash on your wife. You speak about her viciously. You cut her down before other people. And then you demand that she submit to you. I'm going to be very curt. You're a selfish pig. Now you say, preacher, I can't believe you said that from the pulpit. Well, when you get to be a preacher someday, I'd suggest you not say that, okay? But for whatever reason, I just said it right now. But honestly, that is the problem with husbands. They like to quote husbands or wives submit to the husbands, but they forget the verse that is for them, providing the loving leadership. It involves time. It involves help. And it may involve giving up things. You may have to give up certain things to show to your wife that you truly love her. Now, husbands, I want you to do this and wipe your forehead off. We're done with you, okay? Wives, are you ready? All right. Here we go. I just saved the best few moments here. Notice the role of the wife as the submissive helper. Now, for some women, I can imagine that Paul's instructions to submit to your husband probably triggers all sorts of negative responses. You know, much of our our bristling here against this word submission is because we immediately think of being inferior. We think of the word tyranny. We think of abuse. But I want to tell you, submission within the biblical context, when a husband is providing the proper loving leadership, and a wife begins to respond, wow, what a beautiful thing there is in following God's ways. You know what's amazing here is as you look through, and I don't have time to go through it, but this submission carries through in every role that is given. When You read from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, all the way to chapter 6, verse number 4. Do you realize that husbands, they're to submit to God and to the role that they have. Wives, they're to submit to God to the role that they have. Servants, workers, if you will, are to submit to God to the role that they have. Masters or business owners are to submit to God and to the role that they have. Children are to submit to God and to the role that they have. Fathers with children are to submit to God and to the role that they have. Do you realize this word submission carries through in every function that God has given on this green earth? It's imperative. So wives, don't think to yourself, oh, God, just, you know, i got to walk around slumped over here and submit. No, no. God understands order. And when order is properly laid out, then people follow the roles that have been given to them. Beautiful things happen. Notice here, if you will, the scope of the wife's submission. The Bible says here in this verse, number 22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. The word own indicates that while there may be other expressions of submission, in other words, maybe working a job outside and you have a boss or, or various other things, there is a special submission here in the home. Note the word here, the scope of this submission. The Bible says, in everything. This means there, it sets aside any exceptions that they may be. 
Sometimes wives lay out a lot of excuses as to why they need not submit to their husband. I don't want to submit to my husband. He's lazy. He's not saved. He doesn't treat me right. The Bible does not say, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as long as they're okay in your sight. No, the Bible says, wives, submit yourselves and your own husbands as unto the Lord. And then later he tells us, in everything. So that's the scope of the wife's submission. But notice the source for it. What is the source for the wife's submission? Well, there's a basis or foundation for us to understand why it is to be this way. And it is the fact that marriage is a picture of the relationship of Jesus Christ to the church. Notice verses 23 to 24. Paul writes that the basis for the submission of the wife to her husband is the duty of the church in relationship to the head of the church, which is Christ Jesus. All the way back in the beginning, right in the garden, when God established marriage, He establishes it as a picture, and as you walk through, it is pointing forward to the us, the New Testament church, as the bride, and our following and submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ as the head of the church. Beautiful picture that is given here. If you understand this, and grab hold of this, it'll help you. But notice the standard for the wife's submission. There are three statements in our text which really supply the standard of the guiding principle for the submission of the wife to the husband. Look at verse number 21. Doing it in the fear of God. Verse number 22. As unto the Lord. And then notice here in uh, the later verses here, Uh, In verse number 23, as the church is subject unto Christ. Notice the central and common element in all three statements, and that is that there is something that is done unto God that is done unto Jesus Christ. Again, I spelled out here all of these functions in Ephesians 5 through chapter 6. Guess what? They're to do it as unto the Lord. It's quite amazing the excuses that are often given about wives not submitting or feeling the need to do so. But please note, once again, in this passage of Scripture, what is not said. Nowhere in here does it say anything about qualifications as a husband in order for a wife to follow that leadership. It does not say, only follow your husband as long as it's a Christian. It does not say, only follow your husband if he's intelligent. I'll leave that there. The fact that that man that you're married to is your husband seems to be the only qualification given. And when a wife follows that husband's leadership, they are showing in their marriage... A picture of Christ and the church. You say, well, how do I do this? Because you don't, preacher, you can get up there and talk in the pulpit, but you don't know my husband. I know. I may not know your husband, and I may not understand him. And I may spend a few hours at your house and go, yeah, he's a rascal. But you begin praying for him. 
and you begin following. In fact, ladies, if you're struggling with a hardship at home with your husband, I encourage you to read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7. through 7. I wish I had time to turn there, but maybe sometime down the road, we'll look at this passage of Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7. through 7. And I want to tell you something, that if you can get into the Word of God, well, not just pray, but get into the Word of God and understand this picture of Christ in the church. If you can see what Christ is trying to do to the church and how Christ is trying to bring the church along, and you say, you know what, my marriage... However hard it may be, whatever it looks like, it is a picture to my neighbors and to the world of what Jesus is to the church. So, I can't change my husband. He's a pretty bad guy. And he's been mean to me. And he's been a little rough at home. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to follow him because I'm following God. And he may mess things up, and he may not do things all according to the book, but I'm going to pray that God takes a hammer and knocks him over the head. Hey, nobody says you can't pray that if you don't want to. I like the one lady that lasted so long with her husband, he was such a rascal, and she said, they said, well, did you ever think about divorce? And she said, divorce, no, but murder, yes. I want to tell you something, pray and get into the Word of God and see the beautiful doctrine of the church and the Lord Jesus Christ. Today I shared with you two simple laws that you could take hold. And we have several more that we're going to go over, but I guarantee if you just grab these two and you walked home with this and you said, you know what? I can't change him, I can't change her, but I can change me. That revolutionized your marriage. You say, you know what? He, he needs to do this. He needs to fulfill this role, or she needs to do this. All right, we can't change one another, but I as a wife can do this. I as a husband need to fulfill this. I'm telling you, good things would begin to happen. A man or woman's aim is to find a mate who will complete him or her. And in this view, often the world looks at it, that that's an end to itself. A husband and a wife come together, they get married, that's an end in itself. Oh, there's sexual consummation, the celebration of this completion. But I want to tell you, the Bible teaches something different. That God created marriage not as an end, but as a means to an end. Marriage is a living portrait that is set out by the divine painter, God Himself, who wants all of the world to know that He loves His people and He sent His Son to die for the world. Can I tell you something? What a wonderful thing it is to understand the love that Jesus has for all of us here. Those of you that are saved here, part of the grand church, if you will. Now, praise God for all those that have officially joined Calvary Baptists and can say, I'm part of the local body of believers, Calvary Baptist Church. But here today, as a part of the church, you can say, there is a great love that Christ has for me. Oh, what a wonderful day it was 
when in 1993, November 27th, I was standing there at the Elam Baptist Church, and those doors opened, and I saw the most gorgeous woman I'd ever seen, Darla Renee McGee. And she walked down the aisle. And that day, that pastor stood before us and began to talk about, will we promise to love and comfort and honor? Will we be faithful to one another as long as we shall, both shall live? Do we take each other to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part? And both of us said, we do. <laughs> it was scary. I mean, if you remember back to that day you got married, you thought to yourself, what am I getting into? But you know what? We've had a lot of bumps and bruises. We've had a lot of ups and downs. We've had a lot of mountains to climb. We've had a lot of valleys. But I'm telling you what's helped us is as every one of us, both of us, have attempted to be right with God. And as I have attempted to provide the loving leadership, and as my wife has attempted to submit to that loving leadership, God in those moments and in those times has caused our marriage to flourish. And that is a picture to other people, whether they know it or not, how much Jesus loves you. You remember that day that you stood at the aisle with Jesus? You remember that day that God shared with you that you loved that He loved you? Remember that God that day that God said to you, Will you take this Savior? And you said, I will. And God looked at His Son, He said, Will you take this sinner? And Jesus with open arms said, I will. And from that moment at, the, at, the, at that time when I entered into that relationship with Jesus Christ, do you know what Christ has done as the bride for me as part of the, or as the groom as part, as, for me as part of the bride? God has taken me under His wing. He's nourished me. He's cherished me. He's loved on me. He's served me. He's done everything. And do you know what my response is? I love you. I'm willing to do anything for you. I'll walk with you. I'll follow you. I'll get into the Word of God and read it and get to know it. I'll be at the church services so I can learn more about you. I will make sure that sin is out of my life. I will do everything I can because that Son of God who took me on that day has loved me and has given Himself for me and has provided that loving leadership and as the spouse, if you will, the Christian, my simple response is, I love you in return. And I'm telling you, that is the beauty of the home as a picture of Christ and the church. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for allowing me to be able to share the Word of God. I hope some clarity came through. I trust that what I shared, that you would take in a real way and allow it to penetrate the heart and soul of each person here today. Lord, I pray that you'd work in the invitation time right now. Help us, Lord. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, 
I concluded this sermon talking and referencing a little bit that day that I got saved. I entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. If I can put it this way, I got married to Jesus. Jesus has loved on me, and I love Him because, as the Bible says, He loved me first. Nothing can separate me from that love. But maybe you're here today and you say, Preacher, I've never entered into that relationship. I don't know Jesus like that. I I sure would like to know Him. I'd like to know what it means to have Christ in my heart, know that my sins are forgiven, know that I'm on my way to heaven. And just right now, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I will not embarrass you or call you out, but I'd like to pray for you. How many are here today and would say, Preacher, I don't know Jesus as my Savior, but I'd like to know Him. Would you just do me a favor right now? Just slip your hand up, and I'd like to pray for you. Preacher, I don't know Jesus as my Savior, but I'd like to know Him. Anyone here today? I trust that every person truly knows Jesus as their Savior. So let me talk here today to you, first of all, that are not married and seeking to be married. Could I encourage you to come to the, and it might be a teenager, it might be somebody in college. I want to encourage you to come to this altar and pray and say, you know what, I'm not married yet, but I'm a man and I sure would like to be the right type of husband. God help me to start now thinking about how I can love others and, and I can prepare myself to be the loving leader I ought to be. Or, or young ladies come and begin to pray and Lord, help me to be that type of woman. Help me to be submissive now to my mom and dad. Help me to be submissive to those authorities that I have in my life currently. And so I'd encourage you that are not married and seeking to be married to come and yield yourself before God, whoever you are. Now those who are not married and you're older enough and you're a widow and you say, Preacher, I'm done with all that. I'm not getting married again. Well, in a few moments when I invite couples to come, why don't you come and just lay your hands on a couple, somebody that you know, and pray for them. And you say, well, that seems a little bit odd. I want to tell you, within the context of a local church, it's a beautiful thing. God doesn't just simply look at people just who are married, those who aren't married. Our culture seems to classify people that way. But I want to tell you, if you're not married, why don't you come and pray for one of these couples and say, you know what, I'm not married, and I'm going to devote myself. I'm going to pray that God would strengthen your marriage. Because this church that I attend will be strong based on the marriages that are here. Now, couples that are here, what do you need to do business with God today? You say, preacher, I'm not right with God, and I tell you, it shows up in my marriage very easily. My marriage is in shambles. We fight constantly. We have the same things we argue about. Well, I want to tell you, come and get right with God. Lay it at the altar. Don't bring it back home with you. Come and bring it before God. Say, God, I acknowledge here. I confess this to you, and I want my life to be different at home. I want to be a different husband. I want to be a different wife. Whatever it is, get right with God. Maybe you've not been fulfilling your roles. Maybe you've just been an arrogant prude as a husband. Well, come and kneel before the altar and say, I want to be that loving leader that you've asked me to be. 
Maybe you've been that nagging wife. I want to tell you something. Come and submit yourself to God so you can submit yourself to the loving leadership your husband ought to provide. Whatever it is, couples, I want to invite you to come. I'm going to pray. Let's stand to our feet together if we could. I'm going to pray, and as soon as I say amen, I'm going to invite couples, singles to come, whoever it is, come and do business with God. Today, Calvary Baptist will be strengthened based upon what you do today.